0: Okay, here we go.
1: One, two, three, four. Welcome to Curious Creative Conversations, an interview series with various members of New York's artistic community exploring their point of views on their work and its impact. And today, in the Man-Made Music Studios, we have Mr. Dan Venn. So you are now the group creative director and lead producer. Yes. Really quick, can you... In your elevator pitch sort of way, describe what it is you do at Man Made for those who may not quite understand how sonic branding or scoring brand and entertainment experiences works.
0: Am I talking about what I do on a day to day or what Man Made d- delivers?
1: How what you do on a day to day defies <laughs> what Man Made <laughs> delivers. <laughs> I like that. Right? Nice pivot. Both. Bit of <laughs> both. <laughs> both, but in a non-daunting and totally tackleable way.
0: Well, uh, I'm I'm responsible for the creative output, all creative output of man-made music, and so that involves me working with and managing a team that is anywhere. The, the team is producers. The team is creative directors that the team is composers arrangers engineers musicians and when we develop a piece of music for anybody it's quite the process from deciding what kind of musical directions we want to be leaning what are the things we want people to feel um, who are the who's the right team for this down to you know that's the front end of the process deciding what what it's going to look like what are my resources how do I how do I allocate? How do I allocate the right resources? How do I, how do I create create an operation that's gonna, you know, run smoothly. Run smoothly. You know, like what's, it's almost like I'm creating an orchestra of people that mm-hmm. are gonna produce these pieces of music that might.
1: It's like fantasy orchestra instead of fantasy football. Yeah,
0: like, totally. Your team
1: to make the piece.
0: Exactly. I like that. Oh my god. I like Million that analogy. Idea. I like that analogy. That's
1: where I wanted to get started today. Was your background? Like, where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and I grew up in a small, a smallish town called Wausau. It's right in the center of the state. And uh, did you ever watch the show Making a Murderer?
1: I did not. Oh, I'm so sorry. Was that set in your hometown?
0: Just about. I mean, there's wow. another. There's it's the the town that that's set in is same size as mine. But we're talking like thirty-five, forty thousand people in in the core, and then maybe. Total of seventy thousand, if you include the uh little towns that connect to it, so mm-hmm. small town, both my parents were teachers um, I around five years old said I wanted to learn to play piano because mm-hmm. my sister was taking piano lessons. so the woman's house who she went to was this little old lady called miss Mrs. Elster or Miss Elster, Louise elster, and she in my memory, she was always ancient well, yes. And she charged $1 for a half-hour lesson.
1: So she was ancient and a saint.
0: And a saint. And at the time, I remember, <clears throat> if, I did the, if I did the work, you'd get candy during the <laughs> lessons, and that was a motivator. And then also, if you completed certain, like, courses or something, you got these little busts, maybe, like, three inches high, of famous composers. So I get to bring home these little plastic busts of Beethoven and Mozart and Chopin. And oh. So I did I did piano lessons for quite a while and um that I think was really important. Mm-hmm. I um did some viola, I did trombone, I was I was a very promising trombone player in high really? school. Yeah.
1: So then when did guitar come into your life?
0: When I was maybe thirteen or fourteen, maybe even a little bit a little bit later. Um my poor sister, I mean, I just kind of wanted to do what she did, and my sister's infinitely smarter than me in, in, in most things, but I picked up music a little faster than her, so mm-hmm. I, I think she always had to deal with me being like, I want to do that.
1: Right.
0: So she was taking guitar lessons. There's My dad played guitar too, so there's these guitars laying around the house, and so little smarty-pants me picked them up and started playing them. And to make a long story short, I, I, I started to realize that I... I liked that better. I just thought it had more I had more to do with it. So, um...
1: More to do with it than say something like a trombone, which is usually constrained to a large symphony or... or yeah, I mean, setup.
0: in in hindsight, I kind of wish I had kept, kept it up. I think there would have been a lot of other cool opportunities had I been more open-minded to it. But you know, when you're young, you just, this is, you know, it's sexier, it's what it is. <laughs> yeah. And in a smaller town too you can start to feel like you've conquered the world when you're younger and there's not much competition and you know you so i i um <clears throat> i was doing that a lot and starting to do gigs i started really early on teaching guitar lessons too so i'd been like playing guitar for like a couple of years and i started teaching kids then wow and so i continued doing some form of teaching i mean well up into my late 20s mm-hmm. I was always teaching and I think that was really important for how I developed was that I took I taught way more than I actually took any lessons I was always teaching so you always have to do that process of like mm-hmm. flipping the process around in your mind understanding what it, what it is trying to relate it to people and um, it also kind of helped me not get a real job <laughs> for many many years.
1: Oh, that sounds pretty nice. Yeah. And it's also doing what you clearly love to do.
0: Yeah, I think I, th- I think I got I got pretty frustrated of I got burnt out doing it, but you get burnt mm-hmm. out doing just about anything. Yeah, you can get burnt out doing anything. But
1: so were you also teaching lessons then during college?
0: All through college. That's how oh. I paid for so I paid for school.
1: Wow. And were you in college in Wisconsin as well? So
0: I went to University of Wisconsin Madison and mm-hmm. there, in addition to drinking. I got a degree in classical guitar, wow. so I studied classical guitar um you know i think i was i think I was one of the better players there at the time um I was passionate about it. I probably practiced minimum of two hours a day upwards to five hours a day at its peak um I'd wake up and I'd do a half hour and I'd eat breakfast and I'd do something else and then i'd put another so i was constantly i you know constantly mm-hmm. practicing um and madison's if, a great place too it's, it's it's an amazing city
1: i've heard nothing but positive things
0: if you like that vibe you know
1: but were you pursuing this degree in classical guitar for a specific purpose like was your dream to like
0: be a concert be classical a guitarist um pause i i don't think i had any illusions of being at the at uh, you know, that level. I think I, mm-hmm. I thought, if, if anything, I'd continue teaching and doing a variety of types of music. I don't think I'd ever end up being... If I, if, I would, if I were to be a proper classical guitarist that performed, I, I knew that I'd have some kind of angle where I'd be doing my own music or doing something interesting. But I think I always thought I'd end up doing more education. Because it just was something that I I felt mm-hmm. confident in doing, and I just kept getting more students, and it was like a constant in my life for many years.
1: And speaking of pursuing your own music, I know you were in the band Cougar.
0: That's correct.
1: So over the past couple of days, I've been uh, listening to some Cougar. Oh, interesting um, tracks online that I could okay. track down. Okay. Um, okay. So I I just want to hear about that experience. Like, who were those other members in your band? How did you guys get together? What did you set out to do? Okay. And like, how did you settle on that? So, Sound.
0: in it's <clears throat> a good good question. In Madison, when I was there, and then going and going to school, and then a few years that I stayed in Madison afterwards, um, the the people that I got to know and that I played a lot of music with, most of us had met in a course that we took called Black Music Ensemble, and Black Music Ensemble is purposely called that. The um, instructor is you know. Famous in small circles, but uh, Richard Davis. Richard Davis is a bass player. He ran the bass department at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And then Richard, first of all, Richard is a phenomenally accomplished musician, and the university hired him to teach classical bass. But he has this b- j- background in jazz music that mm-hmm. is unparalleled. He played with everybody. He played with Miles Davis. He played with Eric Dolphy. Wow he played with, he played he played with Coltrane um he played some with, with some heavy people he's on some you know signature albums that are world renowned um he also has a very strong point of view about race and music and his his jazz ensemble courses that he led he called black music ensemble and they were very freely structured somewhat intense you could show up one day and he'd write the name of a of a track on a on a chalkboard or a, a, a tune on a chalkboard and say, Does anybody know this tune? And you know, half the class would be like, No, or I might have heard it and he'd say, Okay, <clears throat> show up next week, know it in all twelve keys or don't show up And those of us that know Richard showed showed up, we'd learn the track, mm-hmm. we learned it in all twelve keys. And the people that didn't, he'd come back in, he'd be like, Okay, play me the track or play me that tune played in the key of A. Well, I, I, I didn't learn it. And he'd say, motherfucker, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and, um, you know, those of us that knew Richard would and had done it would kind of have a, you know, kind of smarmy 20 something year old grin on her face. And mm-hmm. and the other person kind of look around like, are you, are you kidding me? And they get kicked out of the class. And um, wow. so I, it, was, it was a great learning experience. And I got to know these Friends of mine that we all kind of were able to hang in this in this mm-hmm. environment, where we got to be taken under the wing of Richard, who had no formal way of teaching this music, but it was more of an oral tradition of teaching it. Right. So if mm-hmm. you learn some to learn a piece of music in twelve keys, is less about the technical nuts and bolts of theory, but it's is to understand music on an incredibly deep level. Well, sure. And so these people that I got to know. Um, outside of outside of that ensemble, when we kind of stopped jamming, we decided to start writing some of this music. and um that was more or less the the members of the band Cougar, plus another friend of mine who mm-hmm. uh, incidentally has no music training, could not have hung in that in that situation at all, but had has just a beautiful sense of of melody and composition. And him and I wrote a lot of the tunes together for that for Cougar. And then the remainder of the group were kind of filled in by the
1: fascinating. Yeah. So, just to quickly go back to this black music ensemble, was the function of making you learn, or what was the function of making you learn it in all twelve keys by yourself? Like, why wasn't that the group exercise? Why wasn't that the lesson? If well, that's understanding music on a deeper level,
0: uh, you would have. Good question. I think you would have came. Ba- we would have came back and probably played it as a group in different keys, but to actually practice, to woodshed it, mm-hmm. if you will, you do that by yourself. And that was then something that I personalized into my own playing and, and writing was that I would practice, I would just take any any piece of music and my guitar, I would take, my, I would take any kind of tune, you know, uh, mm-hmm. when the saints go marching, you know, just something simple and corny, and I'd play it on my guitar, and then I'd go through all twelve keys, and that'd be like a, a exercise or a warm up that I would do. And that, when you do, when you do that, when you're learning music, when you're learning an instrument, it's like taking a magic pill that makes you learn this instrument on a very mm-hmm. deep, deep, deep level. Doing it with other people also very important.
1: And so, how did the learnings of that class then inform how you went on to write music for Cougar? Um, was it the style of music that not, you not so much? Or? It was more.
0: It was more the um, the relationships that I formed with the people. Mm-hmm. So I, maybe that was a bit of a tangent that to get to the, talking about the people that were in the group. Uh, Todd Hill, the bass player, and Dave Scogan, the the drummer. Uh, the three of us had played in Black Music Ensemble together, and so we already had just that innate mm-hmm. communication then down. And so that was more of it than style or. The music theory kind of thing. I mean, I've spent so many years trying to forget that I went to music school when I do things like that. But those kind of, when you, when you know somebody and you've played music with them for so long, it it's amazing what the the connection is.
1: And why are you trying to forget that you went to music school? Just so that your writing doesn't become overloaded with theory?
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think I don't think the best composers are always the people that studied music. Interesting. I don't think that's I don't think there's a strong correlation there uh it depends on the style we're talking about, mm-hmm. but um I don't think to be a good songwriter, to be a good hook writer, to have a good sense of form, melody, mm-hmm. whatever it's gonna be you don't you don't need to study music for that.
1: Do you feel that way about other art forms?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think in any art in any discipline, you can look at people that are outsiders and they bring something to it that is a fresh perspective and unique, mm-hmm. so I, I I think it's um, you know I, that's like a how much time we have right? I could I could talk about, <laughs> I could talk about the institutional institutionalizing of art forms as kind of this problematic. It kind of signifies the death of it, if you ask me. Interesting. Yeah,
1: but wouldn't you also have to say though, in some capacity, that the institutionalization of it is what led you to the members of the group you then created oh, sure. music with—it
0: was—it was great. Sure, no, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, the—it's—it's it's more like you study studying the craft of of jazz and, and improvisation was never bad for me. It was right. It was good for me, and it—I developed relationships with people that helped create more art. So it's like a tan, it's, it's tangential, you know. Mm-hmm it's like you could have almost audited the classes or just hung out in the building and met the people and gone through a lot of motions, but getting a high GPA and, you know, mm-hmm. having the piece of paper doesn't necessarily mean anything. And it doesn't, and it doesn't, you don't, I don't believe one should be training for a career in jazz performance ever as it's a bad idea. It doesn't, that, there's, there's, no, there's no industry around that. The so, industry, is it the
1: practicality that you think is a bad idea, or is it the, like, that that is in some way?
0: I think the institution makes it, sets it up in such a way mm-hmm. that you're led to believe that there's an institu- that there's a industry of mm-hmm. being able to perform and do jazz music or classical mm-hmm. music for a living. The real industry is actually in the education of it, mm-hmm. right? So sure. it's it's. Um, but it's it's there. It's, it's a good thing. It's, they've got they've got um. There's pedagogy around it that exists, so it's therefore you can teach it, you can measure it, you can do classes in it, right. and the university can make it an offering, and people can get degrees in it. Is it the end of the world? No. It's a it's a good thing. I'm glad I did it. Mm-hmm. But um, the institutionalization of it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna produce, the world's going to have better and more jazz music and people are going to like it more. You know, right. that doesn't that doesn't equal that. It just means that you get people like me that mm-hmm. study it and then go off and do something different with, a, with those skills or that experience.
1: Mm-hmm. And to that end, the institutionalization of it, of jazz specifically, also seems so counterintuitive to the founding of jazz. Sure. Which seems to strip it of all of its historical, emotional, cultural context, mm-hmm. which really feels wrong on a deeper level, if you're thinking of it that way.
0: No, totally. I mean, there's, it's a, books probably have been written about it. I'm sure you could write books about it, about what happens when you start to institutionalize an oral art, art form like mm-hmm. that too. And something that has complex roots and it, you know, it sterilizes it.
1: So when you were moving into writing your own work with Cougar, what were the aspirations for that group? Was it just a bunch of people who loved playing together, getting together to play their own thing, or was it let's create a sound that's different? Was it let's push this somewhere outside of Madison?
0: I think we just we were all inspired by <clears throat> and was you know, time and time and place is pretty important to the inception of anything like that. And so we're talking about turn of turn of the century, I guess, so 2000 1999 2000 were in the midwest and at that time there was a you know a, a decent amount of groups that were doing what could be classified as post-rock instrumental rock and among them would be bands like um tortoise which is from chicago they're from chicago mogwai um some other ones that are not so not not even important dra- dragging back up right now but mm-hmm. i think there was there was a that was a genre it wasn't like mm-hmm. a, oh let's do that it was just like that was something that we all listened to or these Got bands it. that had you know that were instrumental that were have complexity and richness influence from rock and other music but it's they were uh, yeah i mean com- complexity kind of kind of dragging my feet on that being the right word but it wasn't just a jam band it was mm-hmm. They were through, through composed pieces of music that were that just felt good to listen to, and that's kind of about what what it was. And I'd also like to point out that we named ourselves in 2001 before the word cougar meant what it means today. So I just <laughs> want to say
1: that's so unfortunate or maybe better because then it's not intentional but I don't
0: know but you look back where on where did it, cougar yeah. come from then? <clears throat> well I think we the animal? well right the animal and I think it's one of the things you look back on when you're doing something like that and you think you're being 100% original and then you look at the people that are influencing you you're like oh shit there's tortoise that's a <laughs> It's a caribou mm-hmm. mogwai is an animal you know <laughs> there's all these bands sure. that have like these you know animal names you're like oh alright <laughs> I guess that's what, that's what we were doing
1: no it fit the time
0: it fit the time yeah and um, mm-hmm. we, we, we were the first ones to use it
1: I, I'd say you're the original thank you yeah mm-hmm. and what made you want to move to New York
0: well I had finished so I finished my undergrad in Madison in classical guitar and I had a, you know coming out of there I had a lot of momentum and I applied and auditioned to and got accepted to a bunch of schools for my master's, and I was mm-hmm. going to do classical guitar. So I applied to Manhattan School of Music, San Francisco Conservatory, uh, Northwestern University, a few a few other places that had some pretty stellar music performance sure. programs. And <clears throat> then I just kind of I got accepted, and I I kind of balked for a second. Thought, I don't know if I want to do this, and so then I kind of hung out in Madison for a bit really then working on different types of music working on jazz, working on playing with people as kind of with classical guitar you're, you, it's you in a room by yourself and you start mm-hmm. to kind of be like is this what I want to do mm-hmm. so then I said oh maybe I'll go study jazz guitar somewhere and make a long story short I knew that I could get into NYU I knew it had a decent jazz program I, Richard Davis going back to the person from Black Music Ensemble mm-hmm had told me rather bluntly, go to New York. And I was like, why should I go to New York? He's like, just go to New York, get the fuck out of here, you know. And so I took I took his advice and I thought, mm-hmm. well, you know, I can do anything for two years, whatever, you know, get a master's degree. Uh, I got married, and then like we got married and then a, a month or two later, we moved to New York and it was just, you know, let's see what happens. Just go there, get a master's degree and then life is young. Mm-hmm. We're young. Let's just see, see what happens. And now I've been here for 12 years, so I didn't really leave after mm-hmm. the master's degree at all.
1: And how did your master's degree, if it did, lead you to being at Manmade? Um, or what was the trajectory between those two it's really, points?
0: It's really similar to the the how I would have expanded upon my undergrad degree and in Madison is that is I met people mm-hmm. and one of the people I met was actually Mike McAllister. You've probably heard me mention before. Sure. Um, Mike is one of the writers that, that we use for man made and he's a phenomenally talented individual. Um, but some people like, like him and a f- few other people that I got to know were starting to get into composition.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I also met Brian Sherman who works for us around that time too. And, those kind of connections, those people, just you learn new skills, you learn new avenues for for career, and um, I just started to get more into writing and producing on my own. And um, I'll tell you a really kind of corny story. Oh, please do. Yes, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure you're just dying for. Mm-hmm. Something with tons of tons of tons of sap and insight. Hey,
1: this podcast needs a lot more corniness than I'm willing to. Oh get, great! So, oh, great. Please, please contribute.
0: So, <clears throat> the the apartment that I live in right now, this trust me this all comes together at the end. The apartment I live in now is the same apartment my wife and I moved into 12 years ago. R- rare, like we're like a we're like the unicorn couple yeah. of, of 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 Brooklyn, and <clears throat> so it's an old it's an old. Old apartment, charming, you know, obviously affordable. And when we first moved in from our back window, you could see a little sliver of downtown Manhattan. You could see a little bit of the skyline. That was kind of cool, right? Mm -hmm. And the jackasses next to us that bought the building, when they bought the building, they um, decided to put an extra story on it and expand uh, expand it out the back. Delightful. Delightful. So I'm watching... You know, I just finished my degree, and I was at, at NYU, and I was teaching a ton, right? I'm, I've got, and I was doing the gigs, I was doing the Cougar thing, that's I'd so occasionally go on tour, and so I'm looking out my back window, and I'm seeing this wall to the right, to the right next to the window, creep up from the first floor into the second floor, we're on the third floor, and it's going up, and I realize I'm not going to be able to see the skyline anymore, and I was like, there's nothing I can do about that. You know, what mm-hmm. am I going to do? Go complain to this person? I'm a renter. My landlord doesn't give right. a shit.
1: Chain yourself to the building Yeah, the store, yeah, right?
0: exactly. Watching these cinder blocks go up. And I was like, I don't know why I remember that as being like a moment where I was like, okay, I got to take, I got to, I got to, I got to be a little more aggressive out here. <laughs> it was kind of like the thought I, I had. I think I had, it was, for some reason there was, there was something, I guess I just made a little sappy story, but there was, it was oh. some, something kind of flipped in my mind where I was like, okay, fuck this, i got to be a little more proactive in what I'm doing out here in New York and take advantage of things. Um, Because if you just sit still and hope things are going to happen for you, I don't know, someone's going to build a wall around you or some corny shit like that. But somewhere around that time, then I I decided to look for internships at music houses because I knew that the other people that I had been friends with, that was a similar path they had been taking to get more involved. Mm So luckily, there's man-made looking for a Friday internship, and so I said, "Okay, I can cancel my Friday lessons." So I went in and I got the internship, in part because the guy who interned me, who interviewed me, Morgan, who is still a dear friend of mine, um, he knew Cougar. We were oh, there was wow. there was a band, there was a feature of us in a Mother Jones magazine, and he read about us. And I huh. came in as like my resume, like, "Yeah, yeah, do this band thing." He's like, "That's so cool."
1: I love Cougar.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> make a long story short, I started interning here and it, it turned into a job.
1: When you're handed, you know, this brand is progressive, energetic, determined, and fanciful, or whatever, you know, the creative brief mm-hmm. ends being, or whatever a client wants to highlight. How do you then look at that and be like, ah, okay notes and turn that into music. To me, that's a, a rather baffling leap that I find fascinating that so people that, do here all the time.
0: And that depends if we're um, talking, though. That's, that, that's a very good question. Trying to unpack it. Um, my job here at Manmade is to take the information from the brand and the client and everything else that I might know about the situation and come up with what those... Words are going to be, in trying and come up with something that's going to be meaningful to a writer. And that involves, you know, tracks that exist out in the world, reference mm-hmm. tracks. Those words that we talked about that everyone can nod their head on, hopefully. And the relationship with the writer. The relationship to their skills, understanding their skills and what they're going to produce. So my role at Man Made Now is a lot about taking something that's intangible, such as a vision for what the brand wants to be and putting it into words and music in terms of a direction for somebody to follow. So then when in, when, you're on, when you're on the um, proverbial other side of the glass, so if I'm then the writer who's been handed the brief by someone like me, you've got musical references and hopefully you've got an idea of what the emotion is that it's supposed to convey. Mm-hmm. And then you go into that special place um some writers some of the more successful writers we have will sometimes throw out like four or five little ideas and bounce them off me i'll say that i think that's got legs i think that's got legs and then they'll flesh that out a little bit more um but yeah some somewhere in there a little leap a little there's a little there's, leap, a, jump. there's a jump that happens and you just got to do it and mm-hmm. but there's a lot of guidance like you know where you kind of know where you're going you know the genre you know the instrumentation to speak about the nuts and bolts of it. Mm-hmm. The harder part is like, you know, I guess you mentioned the word progressive, which I don't know if I'd put on a brief, but it very well it very well would be in the discussion. We want to mm-hmm. look progressive. Our brand wants to feel like we're right. forward-leaning, whatever mm-hmm. the hell that means, right? And so trying to interpret that into something that a writer can be like, okay, I get, I get what I'm going to do, that's a big part of the, the job too.
1: And do you feel that in this discussion and related to man-made's work in general this focus on brands and this emphasis on like general market products and how that is communicated to a prospective audience is that where you find the creativity are you finding that you are contributing the creativity to that sphere that otherwise would lack that like where do you see your contribution in that scheme of what they're doing
0: of trying to Trying to bring, are you saying, are you talking about the um, trying to take something that is kind of intangible description of a brand and turn that into music? Is that. Or,
1: yeah, but on a larger scale. If you look at brands as like, are brands themselves a creative output or are we adding creativity into something that is structurally in our world but may otherwise not have a creative presence is that clear
0: it's a good question and I, I i'm i don't have a i don't have a ready response i've always find found it a little bit easier to think about a brand as being like a person that's been made up by a you know it's the sum of its of its parts and so
1: well sure i mean citizens united companies are people so <laughs> that's true. it's that's not true. really Le- all that far off legally on-
0: <laughs> legally speaking I'm, yeah. I'm 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 correct you are spot on <laughs> yeah well that's dark Right? That's totally dark. Um so you know, do they is there inherent creativity already in them or do you have to pull it out? I think it really depends on it depends on the brand. Sure. And um Yeah, it's it's that's a that's a very that's a very good question. That's like a deeper question for like branding people that you'd probably get into hour long discussion hours of discussion with them about, you know. Mm-hmm. Is the brand just a, a, something flat, or does it have depth and depth in it that's already there? Do you have to create that depth? I, I would argue that you have to create it to a certain extent.
1: Mm-hmm. And so are you finding inspiration then from the challenge of creating it? Or is it a separate sense of inspiration based on just the craft that you, that I think, you love? I think
0: I like to look for inspiration in, in other places than staring at, at, the, at the problem. Got you. Um, you know, we, we've we've talked about this. I like we like we both, we both like to read. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so I'm I'm always some of I'm just always trying to keep my keep my brain active and thinking about thinking. I don't, I, I don't like I don't like thinking right at a problem. I just don't think I solve it creatively mm-hmm. that way. I like to be more oblique about it, and then solutions will come will come that way. But I try to I try to listen to as much music as I can, different types, different eras. I try to st- constantly be. Well, when you got two kids, you don't do as much as of the, you know, oh, I practice and I play music all the time. But, you know, I try to be um, proactive in learning new types of music, understanding Mm -hmm. new types of music more than I would have been before. I would have had blinders on in the past and said, I got to become the best jazz guitar player or something like that. It's much more now I'll be like, oh, I'm going to learn about claw hammer banjo styles of the old South. And that, does that directly influence anything I'm doing here? No, but that's, Always been my approach. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And in terms of I guess where you see entertainment going, because you have managed to take what would be typically seen as a rather like a not a standard trajectory, but like you studied music, you were in a band, you know, you toured with that band. It's like all paths were leading down a rather like tried and true route but then you ended up in this niche company that, you know, is coming up with the Allstate or AT&T, like, brand marker, um, then, like, do you see entertainment as a larger concept being sucked into these more niche pockets where or, and, like, kind of contributing to what I believe we've both referred to as an oversaturation of <laughs> content? Or do you see, like, that being a sort of bubble that ultimately bursts?
0: Uh, it's a good, good, good question. Good topic. I think I feel over. I feel like everything's oversaturated. Yeah. You know. Don't disagree. I think you know someone used the term peak TV. This last season to describe the all the you know, and there, I think there there was arguably a good offering of television going on in the last couple of years. But I like that term peak TV to be like <laughs> okay. It's only going to go downhill from from now or something. But I think I think I think we are really over we are oversaturated. I don't know what that means though. I really don't know what it means. I can take I can take an optimist and a pessimistic approach at the same time. You know I think the oversaturization does lead to things being lowest common denominator. Things become homogenized. But I don't know. You you've we've loosened the grip on the production of ideas too. So, people that are maybe thinking outside the mainstream and that you see this all the time now, people that think outside the mainstream can get can can have their art their 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 creativity pushed forward. Mm-hmm. They don't have you know this is this has been going on for a while now. You don't need a major record label. you don't need right a huge production deal or something like that you can you can get those opportunities, but it's still just stuff, it's still saturation. So, I don't know
1: right. Lowering the bar for entry allows more voices in, right, but crowds the room right, and yeah. the bar, yeah,
0: so there's just you know i i'm I think there's a lot of really bad entertainment out there, but I think I don't think, and I think people understand it too. people get mm-hmm. it, there's just they're saturated with content,
1: and do you see yourself and you may not having a particular role in that? Do you see as like you're adding to the saturation or is this kind of discipline to look at picking up banjo or studying music in a more holistic sense, a diversion from that?
0: I think in my personal interests, I'm a, I am diverge from it. Mm-hmm. And I'm more interested in things that are um, counterculture. I'm more interested in the things that are I guess avant-garde or something like that. I'm I'm interested in that a lot, but do I, you know, well, do I see myself contributing to the saturation? It's nice that man-made to kind of focus on man-made for a second. Man-made is holding on to a vision, though, of understanding stuff that's going to be long-lasting. Sure. Which I think, if you can just put that as like. The focus on what our output is it really helps understand more what we do it doesn't matter how it's created if it's created from a kid that's you know an intern here that writes something to a seasoned composer what we do is try to create something that's gonna have long-lasting value which I think is counteracts saturation perhaps I'd like to think mm-hmm. it does um, but we all live in you know well we all live in the same we all share the same pool I guess
1: All right. Okay. Cool. That's great. Yeah. So then to wrap up, because we're running a little long on time. Okay. So we have lots of things to talk about. Um, I'm going to ask you. Am I supposed to be somewhere? (laughs) Yeah, worth checking. (laughs) Uh, Okay. so really fast Q&A to wrap this all up. Let's do it. All right. Number one. If you could live anywhere for a year, where would it be?
0: I'd be very interested to live in Japan, even though the language barrier scares me. there's something about the culture and the food that I know very little about, but I'd be very interested in. And um, I think the shock of living somewhere else, if I were to move to some place that was less industrialized, um, might, you know, there's there's, some, there's something kind of compelling about going to a similar industrialized nation like that, but that is so shockingly different. Japan.
1: Fantastic. <laughs> a book you'd recommend to a friend?
0: Um. Yes. Oof, man. You can't decide which angle to go because there's a part of me that's, that's super, well, there's a lot of me that's nerdy. <laughs> I'm all nerdy. Um, lovable nerdy. Um, it, for a nonfiction book, there's this history book. Actually, two of them. One's called 1491. The other one's called 1493. 1491 deals about deals with the um, America's pre-Columbia... Pre, pre-Columbus 1493 deals with it afterwards and in terms of like an understanding of like how globalization and the world works and how culture has been influenced by these massive trades trade of goods across the ocean is so it's a subject that I didn't think I'd, I'd be so passionate about but I've read both the books twice now and each oh. time been like this is the most fascinating thing and the way to look at society and the way Culture is influenced by larger, larger trends that go on for hundreds of years. So, highly recommend it. I think it's Charles Mann wrote it. Um, mm-hmm. Those, those, yeah, those, those are very influential. But you know, if, if I'm also going to be on the nonfiction tip, um, I went through a recently went through a big Noam Chomsky craze, and I think if anybody hasn't read Noam Chomsky, he's someone else to to
1: sink your teeth into. Sink your
0: teeth into kind of expand your expand your your point of view about how politics work and how people how people want how how people and institutions naturally function he's really brilliant at kind of explaining that
1: fantastic a movie you would not recommend to a friend
0: wow that's a really great that's a really great one Um, I feel like I have to have to say why I'd re- not recommend it or why I know enough about it to not recommend it um, one night my wife was trying to watch something to fall asleep to because sometimes that's a, a purpose she's like I need to watch something to fall asleep to
1: sure I understand
0: and, um, sometimes she makes a really bad decision and, and picks up such a movie that's so bad she can't fall asleep to it and then I, <laughs> I stay like watching it and I think it was Divergent, Insurgent, one of those
1: oh uh, was it Shailene Woodley maybe they're like young teens someone's out to get them yeah I think actually, so actually haven't seen it but that sounds pretty bad
0: maybe it wasn't that bad but I was just trying to think of a recent movie where I was just like really? you're gonna spend all this money and you can't like write fucking dialogue that's interesting or a storyline but you're gonna have like beautiful special effects and
1: well that's where the money went <laughs>
0: I guess so Yeah, but it sounds like the script was written by like a precocious like 11 or 12 year old who
1: mm-hmm. just got their first word processing unit yeah exactly okay uh What's a profession other than your own that you'd like to try
0: a profession other than my own that I'd like to try um
1: so nothing music related
0: nothing music related there's been a f- there's been a few times where I've been interested in um political strategy huh I can't quite decide why maybe because it's just like the the thinking the strategic thinking and yeah. But there's something about political strategy that I, I find is interesting, but it's also sort of like, you know, ew.
1: Oh, I'm with you a thousand a very, percent. Very Love on the intrigue and the, the yeah. stomach turn. Yeah, exactly. Uh, someone living or dead you'd like to have dinner with?
0: Um, I should have this one ready, shouldn't I? Because it's a, uh, it's, it's one of those questions that it's one of them. It's one of those. It's one of those types of questions that gets asked a lot. Um, it might be a surprising answer but like uh, now that we're getting to the end of President Obama's term and I can reflect on him and I've listened to the way he speaks and I listen to his speeches I'm really taken at what we had for eight years and um, I'm going to go with Obama why not fuck it
1: I'm with you yeah Uh, Justin our Beautiful sound engineer is also with you. Oh, nice. Conversation yeah. Um, okay, and the final two. A moment when you felt lost.
0: A moment when I felt lost. You know, it's great that I that you asked that because I can reference back to the wall being built mm-hmm. outside my apartment Fair and nice feeling way. like there's no way I can fight that wall by teaching guitar lessons to little kids and people having midlife crisis, crises. So, yeah.
1: And a moment when you felt like you were on track.
0: Um. moment when I felt like I was really on track. Well, I think I think I could go go with the one of the the birth of my first or second kid. Um. That's just a. That's a. That's a. Conscious, expanding universe, expanding kind of experience, and so you're able to kind of stop feeling like you should be in a motivational poster on somebody's wall with you know the eagle flying or some shit like that. And you actually can look at the bigger picture of your life and family. So, even though I don't know if it's like it was, <laughs> don't you know, when you have a kid, when you have your kid, there's a million things going on in your brain, you don't always feel like, Well, now I got this securely locked down. There's a, There's a big feeling of mm-hmm. like, Wow, I'm. I'm falling, but at the same time, uh, in terms of a, a shift in your perspective on what life is and a positive one, that I would put uh, the birth of one of my kids or both of them. So, you know, can't have favorites, although I do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think we're good. Yay. Thank this you was so fun. much, Dan. I yeah. really appreciate it. This was great.
0: Cool. All Thanks, right. Justin.
1: Thanks, Justin. The
0: seltzer was my favorite part.
1: Oh my god, I had to burp the whole time.